Welcome to Accelerating Government with ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. Now your host, Dave Winogren. Welcome to another episode of Accelerating Government. For over 40 years, the American Council for Technology and Industry Advisory Council has served a unique position in the federal marketplace as a nonprofit whose purpose is to bring together government and industry leaders to accelerate government mission outcomes through collaboration, leadership, and education. On today's show, we're joined by government and industry leaders to discuss some outstanding innovations in the federal market and dig into supply chain risk management. Our first guest today is Cesar Tavares, Senior Director for Emerging Technology at Octo Consulting. Thanks for joining us, Cesar. Thank you for having me, Dave. Absolutely. It's great to have you on the show. It's often said in DC that we spend far too much time criticizing and not enough time celebrating success. And so today we're going to do our part by recognizing two of the 2022 ACT-IAC Innovation Champion Award winners, our top honor for innovative solutions in the government market. Caesar and the Octo team were recognized for their Shots Fired Azimuth Detector Initiative. So first and foremost, congratulations on receiving the Innovation Champion Award. And before we talk about the initiative, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and about Octo Consulting? Sure. My name is Cesar Tavares, and I'm the director of Emerging Tech at Octo. You can consider me, I guess, the innovation guy here at Octo. <laughs> I support our CTO office, and my main focus, obviously, is bringing innovation to Octo and, most importantly, to our customers. You know, I really believe that if you don't innovate, your competition will outpace you. So it's a very important part of business, and I'm happy to be at the helm of that. Let's get right to the winning innovation. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the problem that you were trying to solve and what you ended up coming up with in developing the shots fired azimuth detector. Sure, so since I lead our innovation practice, one of the things that we do is have a yearly hackathon. And you know, we give folks an opportunity to think outside the box and create new ideas. And one of those ideas that came up during a hackathon was this, you know, this, they call it the seeing ear bat uh, solution. And ultimately what, the, what that did is, or rather the problem that it was trying to solve is the situational awareness during a combat situation, meaning you're in the combat zone and there's shots being fired at you, right? How do you detect where this where this shot is coming from? And so this, you know, shout out to the two individuals who uh, who created this innovation, Mike Bauer and Aaron Festinger. You know, I believe they're former military folks, and they've also worked currently worked on this project, the IVAS project, Integrated Visual Augmented system where you use like nano drone photogrammet photogrammetric point cloud and 3d segmentation anyway very difficult uh, words to <laughs> to wrap your head around but ultimately they're in that field right they're using devices on the field devices to do incredible things and and they decided hey why don't we leverage some technology to also detect since we're already in the field and we're we're you know detecting objects in three dimensions, why don't we also think about detecting sound, right? Detecting where are, fire, where are these bullets and whatnot coming from. So they built this, ultimately they built almost like a video game. A game. They use this technology called Unity. Most of the current video games out there with incredible graphics, they're built on Unity. And so they built this uh, video game and inside this video game, they they made it, you know, so that's three dimensional so that you can you can basically fire a shot inside this three dimensional universe 
and you fire it at, at this bat, right? This meme or whatever you want in a cartoon, right? With the bat with big ears because, you know, bats have sonar and they can detect objects, right? So you would fire this bullet at this bat and that's when the AI algorithm kicked on. And that algorithm would detect essentially, you know, the distance of the angle and also the type of weapon it is, right? It was very, really cool, really innovative. And apparently like a lot of this stuff on the actual battlefield, some of it's done on pencil and paper, believe it or not. So, you know, as far as, as technical as we are, some things are still do, done old fashioned way. So this is a, a cool, cool innovation. It really is an interesting proposition. You yeah. know, when you come up with innovative new ideas, it doesn't always happen easily, right? It takes some hard work and thought in. So I'm wondering, what were some of the challenges you had to overcome in developing the solution? Well, mostly the big challenge is data, right? There's there's not a lot of data on like gunshot fire, right? So these guys actually, they actually went to the range and unfortunately they only had like two guns and they actually recorded the sound of the of the gunshot and they used that into their, their model. So it's, you know, suffice to say that it was a hackathon and, and the data was minimal, right? We we didn't have a, an entirety of, of all the different types of gunfire, but they went and created their own sound file, if you will, and use that in the model. The other thing too is like, they had to also recreate, you know, noise, like noise pollution, like think of like birds chirping and airplanes flying by and all kinds of other things. So they had to throw that into the model for it to become a little more accurate. And then, yeah, I think that those are the, the major challenges really is just around the, the data itself. It seems like it's got great potential. What what are yeah. some of the next steps that you'd like to see for it? Where, where would you like to take it from here? Yeah, I think it'd be cool to be able to bring it maybe to our IVAS program and see if there's an opportunity to integrate or at least take take a look at the model that was created and see if they can integrate it into uh, some of the systems they use now because they're doing a lot of edge computing where they're running models like on, you know, on the battlefield itself. So having these models readily available that can integrate with their systems, I think is key. And so they're excited to potentially do that, right? I think to be innovative, you have to think outside the box. And oftentimes the things that keep us from doing that is just the, the processes and the policies. And, and so having an environment where you, you can do that is key. And that's why, uh, you know, we, we recently actually were launching on Monday our O-Labs, which is a, a facility over here in Reston, that the facility of 15,000 square feet. We have about 20 teraflops of compute power. We've got drones. We have a 3D, you know, combat room. I mean, you name it. I also asked for a PlayStation and a beverage station, if you will. <laughs> so it's it's going to be quite a quite an awesome place. You know, with the pandemic, I think it's really important to have a place where we can all go. You know, strategically congregate for like brainstorming and and doing more fun type activities because that's one of the things that you know I, th I feel like has we've been missing out as a result of just this virtual, you know, world that we live in now. Yeah, absolutely. It is it's so wonderful to be able to be returning to in-person events. I mean, mm -hmm. it's highly efficient to do do sessions on Zoom or Teams, but but you miss some of that serendipity that happens as people get together. I, I get to see so many applicabilities for this solution. I can imagine even beyond the Defense Department, you know, police forces and, mm -hmm. and other groups too. Uh, mm -hmm. 
So it's just, it's really, really interesting. You, you started to mention a little bit about cultural change and the challenges of, of dealing with that. And what if you'd like to share with the audience a little, some of your thoughts about how you address the cultural change about adopting these sorts of innovative new approaches? Yeah, I think, you know, you know, culture is a difficult question to ask, like, what exactly is culture? I look at culture as basically it's a personality. If you look at it, like from a person standpoint, it's like the personality of the company. Like it's the ideas that form the company. It's the, the train of thought. It's the experiences, et cetera. And so I think over time, that culture sort of solidifies into a particular way of thinking. And often, sometimes we get stuck you know, in, in one particular mindset. And I think to help drive new ideas and help keep pace with innovation, right? So because in order to innovate, you need to be an adoptive company. You need to be able to, you know, keep pace with change, if you will. Otherwise, you're left in the dust, right? We all remember Blockbuster, right? <laughs> so I think culture drives innovation. Culture of innovation means that you're always developing a backlog of future opportunities, um, and that's key, right? Having a backlog of of ideas that will sort of drive business in the future is key. And and to be able to do that, you have to get leadership to buy in, right? Because the things that typically stop innovation are, you know, these policies and procedures and, and things of like that, which are necessary. But so, for example, I can tell you, like in the government right now, one of the challenges I see is that you know the the government's hungry for AI, right? The AI has so much possibility, but the government, I don't think has yet cracked the nut on how do I acquire AI services, right? How do I buy AI? And so, you know, it's ironic that that's the, you know, the acquisition piece, the complication in the acquisition piece is the piece that's um, sort of keeping the technology at bay, right? It, 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 it doesn't allow for as much adoption as we could, we could potentially have. So it does speak to the issue that sometimes we're far more hampered by how we ask for things than by who we ask for things. And and using the right kind of acquisition approach for the right kind of solution that you want to get is the key to finding success, particularly as you want to do more innovative work as, as you go forward in time. Cesar Taveras is the Senior Director for Emerging Technology at Octo Consultings. Congratulations again on being an Innovation Champion Award winner, and thank you for joining us today. We're gonna to take a short break now, and when we return, we'll catch up with another Innovation Champion Award winner. I'm Dave Wondergren, and you're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. I'm Dave Wendergren, and in this segment, we're going to talk with another 2022 ACT-IAC Innovation Champion Award winner. DJ Dart is the Chief Strategy Officer at Inadev Corporation. DJ, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Dave. It's great to be here. As I said in the first segment, we spend far too much time complaining and not enough time celebrating successes. And it's just an important thing to do, as, as I'm sure you'll share with the audience. You know, we're not alone. There are great Indeed. companies doing great things all over this market. If, if you more you know, the more you'll, you, you won't feel like you're doing it on your own. Yeah, so it's well great said. to have you on the show, and it's great to be celebrating another Innovation Champion Award winner, which is our top honor for innovative solutions in the market. DJ and Inadev were recognized for the Internal Revenue Service Next Generation Immersive Augmented Reality Mobile Solution to improve the taxpayer experience. So again, congratulations on the award, and why don't you tell us a little bit about Inadev and your work there? Yeah, sounds great. Well, for starters, I'll just say I'm a very proud ACT-IAC 
partners graduate. Keep me honest here, class of 2020, the largest class and the largest running class, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> due to COVID, but very proud of that. So as you said, Dave, I'm the chief strategy officer for Inadev, and ultimately I lead the development and execution of our corporate strategic initiatives to create not only sustainable growth, but ultimately sustainable innovation that span both our commercial and federal accounts to deliver unique digital experiences. Regarding Inadev, we are a small business. We were formed in 2011. We are 8A. I mean, really what differentiates us in the marketplace more than anything and how we compete in the marketplace despite being a small business is really how much we concentrate energies on research and development investments. It's not a focus of ours every year, but rather it's a focus of ours every single day. It's a part of our DNA and it's a part of our culture. And it's really what has ultimately led us to develop this really cool innovation for the IRS with augmented reality. So why don't we dig right into it? Why don't you tell us a little bit about the problem you were trying to solve and, and what you ended up coming up with to develop the solution? Yeah, I'd be thrilled to. In order to get to that, I just it's really important that I give just a little brief background on the organization within the IRS and the challenges that they're faced with and their goals. So this came out of ED and CMO, which is the Enterprise Digitalization and Case Management Office out of the IRS. They were formed in 2020 with the primary mission, reducing manual processes and reliance on paper, and ultimately improving compliance for, for the taxpayer. It's run by Harrison Smith. Everybody knows Harrison, brilliant leader, thought leader, innovative thinker. And with the IRS they have come out and specifically through ED and CMO, these pilot IRS programs. And in these programs, and in this particular one for augmented reality, they had three primary objectives that they highlighted. One was to generate relevant information from irs.gov that ultimately helps improve the taxpayer experience, but provides specific and relevant information back to the taxpayer that helps them to be compliant with their, with their tax filing. Second is to interface efficiently with irs.gov without creating any lag on IRS servers. And then the third is to collect immediate feedback from the taxpayers on the app so that we can constantly improve the app and ultimately improve the, the experience for the user, in this case, the taxpayer. Well, we had a rather long-winded official name for the app. We did call it IRIS, I-R-I-S, which of course is just a play on the IRS acronym. And it was really done to personify the app and really help to create a seamless experience for the taxpayer interfacing with the app. Now, how did we ultimately achieve those three primary goals that I outlined? It's a mobile app that runs on both iOS and of course, Android. And we leveraged artificial intelligence, machine learning, and of course, augmented reality that produces text overlay on a mobile device when a taxpayer hovers his or her mobile device over an actual tax form. It can be a picture of a tax form like a 1099, it can be the actual paper-based form of the 1099, just to illustrate one example. And we automatically, through data we've collected from irs.gov, overlay every form field on that form that allows the user or taxpayer to then click on that to learn more about that field and how best to be compliant with that field based on that taxpayer's filing status. 
And that's another compelling innovation that we brought forward as we established this profile builder, because to provide highly relevant information from irs.gov that overlays with those form fields is one aspect, but it's also critically important to understand and know the tax filing um, status of that individual so that it's highly relevant and unique and specific to that person. And then there's one other innovation that I'll highlight. Because of our research and development years ago, Indedev created a fully open source development integration in DevSecOps Accelerator. It is an open source platform. It really allows us uh, as a codeless solution to rapidly prototype um, so we're able to deliver high quality solutions at speed and securely. Because of that, when we first had our kickoff with the IRS and EDCMO, they gave us 60 days to turn around the proof of concept. We had our accelerator stood up literally within hours and we've turned around a fully functioning mobile augmented reality solution, pulling data off of irs.gov tailored to the forms literally in two weeks. Major innovation that we were able to accomplish for the IRS in that capacity. You had mentioned uh, customer experience, and, and I'd love to hear the focus on that. And I have to imagine that had to help a little bit with dealing with some of the cultural change impacts of trying to bring a new solution to, to bear for the organization. I, I know cultural change is something that you care a lot about. I wonder if you want to maybe offer some thoughts along those lines. Uh, yeah, if I, if I understand, I think there are two questions there, the customer experience and then the cultural change. If, if you don't mind, I'll hit the customer experience and the taxpayer experience, and now we're helping to improve that up, up front. We really ran into two big challenges on this engagement, and it all goes back to the customer experience or taxpayer experience. One was pulling and culling all of that information from irs.gov. I mean, there are literally hundreds of thousands of pages on that site. And to make it highly unique and relevant to the taxpayer so that it does improve or help improve the taxpayer experience, we had to really develop some sophisticated back-end technology to the IRS app. And one of, that, one of those aspects was building in a simultaneous crawler that categorizes data pulled from irs.gov, but at the same time uses machine learning and statistical analysis to, to build significant confidence intervals for the data that we're pulling tailored specifically to each individual form field across the IRS forms, again, like the 1099. But to also make sure that we're providing highly relevant information unique to each taxpayer that, again, translates to customer experience, we had to understand the filing status. So what we employed there wasn't really driven by technology, but rather human-centered design. So we employed techniques such as persona development and journey mapping to traverse the varying types of filing status that we all go through. I mean, you know, when we were living at home with our parents, we were, you know, dependents. When we graduated college and we got jobs, we became, you know, non-dependents. You know, we have 401ks. Our tax filing status changes as we get married and have kids. Traversing all of the various types of personas and then traversing that across the journey as each of us really are part of the IRS life cycle from birth all the way through our, our passing is critically important to understand and tie that back to the machine learning models so that what we're collecting and adding statistical confidence to is highly relevant to not only the taxpayer, but the individual form fields that that person is completing that helps them with their compliance 
and ultimately helps them move more from paper-based forms to electronic forms. Ultimately improves the efficiency. So that is one key aspect where we ran into some pretty big challenges and how we've been working with ED and CMO to resolve those challenges to improve the customer experience, or in this case, the taxpayer experience. On the aspect of cultural change, I would probably address that more from uh, an internal perspective to us, perhaps. Innovation is not easy, and producing digital experiences for our customers that through innovation is, is not an easy task. It requires a culture of risk-taking and investment. It requires a culture that embraces failure and to uh, learn quick from those failures and, and adjust. It's all very hard Honestly, for small businesses, Dave, you know me well, I've worked for large businesses as well. And I would contend it's very difficult for large businesses too. And it's challenging in, in this world where we support GovCon as a small business just because we don't have the resource reach back like other larger companies do. With the IRS and the augmented reality solution, we were faced with some big challenges to innovate. And one of the ways that we really solved that, and this is a huge credit to ED and CMO, is through this government and industry partnership that we form. It really ultimately established coordination and a collaboration and a one badge perception between Inadev and IRS, uh, ED and CMO. And the partnership that we've form really, I think, served as an archetype, an example of industry and, and government working together so that we could innovate. The reality is we could not have innovated this solution the way we did without that direct partnership with ED and CMO. And because of that, we were able to really produce a pilot program. Again, it's not live yet that will ultimately help improve the taxpayer experience. Excellent. I think collaborative partnership and a culture of risk-taking, those are excellent ways to end the segment. DJ Dart is the Chief Strategy Officer at Innodev Corporation and an ACT-IAC Fellow. Congratulations again on also being an Innovation Champion Award winner, and thanks for joining us today. We're going to take a short break, and when we return, we'll wrap up our Innovation Awards discussion and then talk with GSA Sam Navarro on cybersecurity supply chain risk management issues. I'm Dave Wendergren, and you're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. I'm Dave Wondergren. ACT-IAC recently gave out its 2022 Innovation Awards at our Emerging Technology and Innovation Conference in Cambridge, Maryland. If you missed the conference, you can still learn more about the Innovation Award winners by checking out the link at the Federal News Network website. All of the award winners are compelling examples of innovative solutions in the technology market. We awarded five Innovation Champion Awards this year, our grand prize winners. You've already heard about two of those awards earlier in today's episode. The other three Innovation Champion Award winners were the California Wildfire Mapping Initiative, where the California Governor's Office of Emergency Services and Western Fire Chiefs Association partnered with Google to pilot a program that streamlines the process of assessing damage in the aftermath of wildfires. Using Google Street View video technology and Google Cloud artificial intelligence and analytics capabilities, the solution is helping emergency services team increase the accuracy of preliminary wildfire damage assessments and expedite recovery assistance. 
The Threat Identification, Determination, and Evaluation, or TIDE initiative, where the Argonne National Laboratory and DHS partnered on the development of software that evaluates information from facility security assessments, open source information, threat and intelligence reports, and criminal databases to provide a complete picture of the potential criminal and terrorist threats to a facility. And the fifth award went to the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Procurement Bots Initiative, where CBP contracting officers and tech leaders partnered together to design, develop, and deploy RPA bots to contracting personnel at CBP to deal with the obligations of unspent funding. ACTIAC also presented seven innovation impact awards. They went to Deloitte and the state of Colorado for their Intelligent Automation for Periodic Reporting Initiative, IBM and the Veterans Benefits Administration for their Intelligent Automation VBAP platform, GDIT and the Department of Veterans Affairs for the Skin Lesion Classifier Initiative, Accenture and the State Department for their Bureau of Overseas Building Operations Mixed Reality HoloLens Program, DOD and VA for the Joint Health Information Exchange, Civic Actions and the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid for the Rapid ATO Project, and VA's Office of Information Technology and Veterans Health Administration for the Health Benefits Act. We'd like to thank and congratulate all of the outstanding innovation nominations we received this year. There are new ideas that work across government. And one area where new ideas are at work is in the area of supply chain risk management. And with that as a segue, I'd like to introduce our next guest. Sam Navarro is the Senior Advisor to the IT Category Manager at the General Services Administration. Thanks for joining us, Sam. Thanks for having me, Dave. Appreciate the invitation. Well, we're delighted to have you, and we're delighted to have a chance to get to know a little bit more about this important topic. Why don't you start off with a little quick introduction about you and uh, about the work that you do at GSA, so we know more about ITC. Sure thing, Dave. I am the senior advisor, as you stated, to the IT category manager, and my job really is to look at opportunities where we could broaden our horizons and contribute and add more value to our buyers, our suppliers, and the acquisition workforce at large. One of the areas that we've really been looking at tackling is DSCRIM, supply chain risk management, and the role, very important role that the acquisition workforce has to play within this space. So we've been looking at content and, and addressing challenges that the acquisition workforce is facing in order to deliver practical results that they can incorporate to their everyday solicitations. Cybersecurity and supplying the supply chain are clearly national imperatives and they're top of mind for tech leaders across the market. Would you give our audience a little context on supply chain risk management? What are some of the issues and what are some of the risks that you're currently seeing in the market? Sure, and that's a great question. And I have a little bit of data, but first a little bit of context as well. So normally the acquisition workforce was focused on two verticals within supply chain risk, right? First was to make sure the availability of the products and services we needed to deliver our missions to the American people through the cyberspace. Second, not only the availability, but we also were focused on location, right? The TAA, the Trade Agreement Act, ensured that we could only solicit from certain areas products and services. However, now with recent events, we've expanded these two verticals to three, and we're working in collaboration with cybersecurity professionals and experts to make sure that there is integrity to the products and services we buy as well. So that's a little bit of the context. We're expanding our horizons. Acquisition is here. We're part of the team in making sure that cyberspace is safe for us to advance defense, making sure our airspace is, is safe, food is safe, et cetera. The second piece, a little bit of context within the same space is the data. 
So according to some recent surveys that we've done within the community of interest of acquisition in, in ACT-IAC, more than 75% of companies have reported at least one supply chain disruption in the past 12 months. And what's the impact of that? Nearly one in five companies have gone out of business within the last 180 months after experiencing disruption. So this plays a very critical role in making sure we have a pool of industry partners that we can solicit to and that they are able to deliver and continue providing services to the government, which makes sure we mitigate disruptions to the government. And so this has pretty much impacts across the, the landscape, and we wanna make sure that our suppliers are in good shape in terms of CSCRIM, and also our buyers are incorporating the right terms and conditions, the right tools to make sure that they are ready and prepared to survey and respond to some of these challenges across the landscape. That's a staggering statistic. And, and I think it's such a time to have this conversation because I think everybody in the audience can relate to how hard it is to even just like buy a new car or buy other products because of supply chain challenges and gaps in the supply chains and supply chain delays that were pandemic induced. But you, but you also helped us to visualize that it's more than just about the unavailability of things, but it's the availability of the wrong things too, like counterfeit parts or malware and software because we can't check the provenance of it. And so it just is an extremely complex set of issues that really affect every aspect of our lives. So, you know, holy cow, as a way to tee it up like that then. So, so talk a little bit about some of the challenges for federal agencies and private sector firms that support the government in trying to get a handle on the risks that are embedded in their supply chains. You gotta imagine some of these supply chains are really complex and go far down the tiers of subcontractors, et cetera. Right, the, the underlying proposition to the supply chain is generally we trust it, right? And so folks who are malicious actors within this space wanna take something we trust, which is the supply chain and the value chain to uh, original equipment manufacturers and enable that value chain to incorporate vulnerabilities into it. From our perspective and landscape, we wanna make sure that we mitigate the chances of getting vulnerabilities in products and services we buy out of the box. We already have enough challenges with the supply chain or the cyberspace vulnerability area sector as it is. We don't need any more vulnerabilities right out of the box or right out of the gate with some of these services and products that we have. What's at stake? I think you're right, Dave. This isn't only a public sector challenge. This is a private sector challenge as well. Actors are trying to get access to intellectual property and, and access to data that can give them an advantage, either from a defense perspective, geopolitical perspective, or a corporate advantage perspective. And not only that, there's also the ability of controlling our infrastructure. Here recently, we've all been on the train for 5G. And we've seen a lot of the smart city and smart building utilizations of that infrastructure. Well, what would happen if a malicious entity would have access to that infrastructure through the devices on that network and then use it to our disadvantage? So there's a national defense imperative here, of course, to make sure that we protect our supply chains and buy from trusted vendors and continue to maintain that trust that us and industry have, but also in protecting data. It's all driven around the data that we want to make sure the American people entrust us with their PII and also intellectual property, such as patent and trade, right, that make sure that we, we protect a lot of that intellectual property that our corporations have and make us so successful as a nation. You bring up some great points, and, and we're going to cover those after we come back from a short break. But, uh, but sometimes, you know, we think about new technologies 
as being the answer to our challenges, but sometimes the new technologies themselves will introduce new vulnerabilities that we then have to take on too. So it is it is staying abreast of that rapid pace of change and rapid pace of technology adoption, I gotta imagine, is causing you guys a lot of work. And we're gonna talk more about that when we come back. We're gonna take a short break, and when we return, we'll continue our conversation with Sam Navarro, the Senior Advisor to the IT Category Manager at GSA. I'm Dave Wintergren, and you're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACTIAC on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Accelerating Government with ACT-IAC. I'm Dave Wintergren, and in this segment, we continue our conversation on supply chain risk management with Sam Navarro, Senior Advisor to the IT Category Manager at GSA. Sam, as we went to break, we were talking about the challenges that exist in supply chain and cybersecurity-related issues, and uh, and you had mentioned a couple of groups. It's probably worth coming back to those for a moment. There's a Government Acquisition Community of Practice. And then there's also a cybersecurity supply chain risk management acquisition working group at ACT-IAC, which is probably the longest acronym at work in any of the things that ACT-IAC does, the CSCRIM AWG. Why don't we talk for a couple of minutes, tell our audience a little bit about the work of the government's acquisition community practice and then the CSCRIM AWG. Yeah, so part of the privilege of being in this position, Dave, is that I have the honor of being the co-chair to two incredibly amazing groups one in the government space and, uh, and another one in the industry and government space combined. So the Federal Acquisition Service Council under OMB drives CSCRIM strategy across the government, and we take a lot of our keys from them. However, one of the ideas that they came up with is how do we make some of these strategic achievements more tangible for the everyday acquisition employee, the acquisition workforce? And so we came up with an idea to create the acquisition community of practice where we could bring our shields down across the federal landscape and say, here are the challenges that we're seeing with CSCRIM in pre-solicitation, during solicitation and post-solicitation work. And so a lot of that has really driven us to create actual templates, playbooks, a lot of capability supporting documentation to help the everyday contracting officer and contract specialist deliver for their specific mission. However, the definition of public servant, we know, is vast. And we couldn't do what we do without our industry partners. So we very quickly identified the need to have industry at the table at the very beginning and get industry buy-in. And ACT-IAC was generous enough to help us stand up the acquisition working group, as you stated, under the community of interest. And I can't thank the leadership enough because we've been able to bring some of the smartest CSCRIM practitioners across industry and academia to help us solve some of the challenges that we're both seeing. You know, I think sometimes we lose sight of, we put solicitations out there, but it's industry giving us proposals to answer the mail. We've been extremely pleased with the outcome of this mix. We're having a shark tank coming up where we're gonna be looking at great ideas across industry. We're putting together a playbook that, thanks to you, Dave, and the federal CISO, Chris Darusha, kicked us off, launched us off last fiscal year. We're going to be delivering that by the end of this fiscal year. So I just want to encourage folks to definitely participate in one or the other. If you're government, join us in the ACOP. If you're industry or government and want that mix perspective, join us under ACT-IAC under the Acquisition Working Group. We need you. We need all the think tank uh, people and all the good ideas we can we can get to help us solve tangibly some of these challenges we're seeing within this space. 
Yeah, the, I'm very excited about the playbook work. We'll have to have you back on the show once the playbook gets publishing and tell us all about the great ideas. And we're also delighted about the Shark Tank that's coming up. It's going to be held right around the time when this episode airs. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that too. From your perch, sitting on top of a massive acquisition organization, I, I have to say that the acquisition process and procurement leaders play such an important role in this process. And so what are some of the ways that the acquisition process and procurement leaders can help in addressing some of these supply chain risks that you're seeing? Right, we have a great vantage point. Put it this way, one out of every $3 spent in technology is spent through the ITC portfolio in GSA. And so $32 billion of spend, we get to help all of those contracting officers and specialists with a lot of the challenges they're seeing. I'd say that a lot of the work that's being done right now is in pre-solicitation. What are the terms and conditions I need to make sure I have in my contract in, in case I need an exit strategy to another solution? What are some of the service level agreement uh, metrics that we are working to incorporate to make sure that we ensure integrity of that supply chain that we just discussed? Are there things that I could add to my quality assurance and surveillance plan? All of these things we're fleshing out up front to make sure once you're in the agreement and you're in the relationship with, with the vendor, both parties understand how to mitigate some challenges as you see through. We, we saw this through the Kaspersky incident, right? They, a lot of folks had Kaspersky products already in their environment. Well, the right terms and conditions and contracts gave them an exit strategy to, get, to do away with that technology and bring in new technology to help them continue their mission. And then secondly, once you're in that relationship and in the environment and you have multiple vendors providing solutions, services and products, we're really circling the wagons around how do we plan, surveil and then respond to a lot of these challenges, right? We want to make sure that this is understood up front and throughout the period of performance of the contract because it's a team effort. You are just as responsible as the vendor that you just brought on board to your environment. So we've been looking at solutions that work across the spectrum, such as Tugit, second generation IT. We built that product solution for the Air Force, but it's been paying dividends for all of government where what we do is we have a planning stage up front with the customer, put in the right level of security components up front, and then we survey open source information. We have auditing capabilities depending on the need of the customer, and we automatically have in place the contract execution for response once we identify a vulnerability. In reality, this is through and through a team effort. Government officials and government experts within this space are just as important as our industry partners. And together, we're, we're reaching results and conclusions that help us both achieve the mission for the American people. As you look across the federal market, particularly perhaps in the year ahead, what are some of the supply chain issues that should be top of mind for federal agencies? We'll talk about the federal agencies first, then we'll talk about the private sector. But what would you like folks to be thinking about and be focused on in their supply chain work over the next year? That's a great question because I think some of the simple use cases we can quickly um, expound on. Greatest simple use case is a device, a laptop. Very easy to identify who your original equipment manufacturer is, secondary and tertiary relationships to that equipment manufacturer, and then dissect from there where the potential risk may be. But think about this, Dave, the cloud market has expanded twice, double in the last five years. How do we ensure that for a lot of these complex solutions, we're also thinking and very mindful about the supply chain from a public and private sector perspective? I think about 
the risk hasn't necessarily gone away. It's just transitioned now from the government to their cloud service provider that's providing you that solution. Same thing with our carriers. 5G is going to be a big conversation and a big way on how we connect. And so we need to think about CSCRIM now from an integrated perspective and a more complex solutions perspective and make sure that we don't lose sight on the lessons we've learned and keep our guard up in terms of some of these value chains that may be vulnerable to disruption. Lastly, there's malicious actors in this space, but we can't lose sight of also the availability with natural disasters and other aspects that may disrupt supply chains and making sure that we incorporate to some of the solutions we provide, especially critical solutions. Think about this. National Weather Service has over 145 weather service stations across the United States. There's places where those stations are critical to inform people of weather, which can be a danger to life, limb, or property. How do we ensure that we, we have a diverse supply chain to make sure that when we need to do life cycle changes or we need to bring in new products or devices to an environment, those are available, right? You, you talked about cars. Well, we don't want to be in the position of cars with our technology in the forward, especially when it comes to delivering critical services to the American people. So we're thinking about this holistically. We're moving from simple use cases to large use cases. But the core is that we don't lose sight of the lessons learned and we have that continuity as we go across the portfolio of IT services and products that we're going to be consuming to make sure that we, that we gain value on that and then continue building on the information and the practices that we have in place today. This is such an important topic, Sam. I just feel like we could go on and on. Unfortunately, we're almost out of time. So in about 30 seconds that we have left, parting advice to our audience of government and industry executives on, on supply chain issues, what would you like to leave them with as a message? I say get involved. I think ACT-IACT has the best approach to this. They created an acquisition working group. If you have experts that need to be informed and want to be a part of the conversation, have them participate in our AWG, our acquisition working group. We'd love to have them. Secondly, make sure that you are connected to a lot of the government-wide solutions that have been put in place. We've done the work for you. Second-generation IT, um, there's other government-wide solutions, contractual solutions that are already in place. My recommendation is why go open market? Why do a lot of the work that's already been done by some of the smartest folks we have within government? Leverage category management and category management buying principles so that a lot of that c scrim work has already been done for you as you look to consume products. So get involved. ACT-IACT has a great group to get involved in. And then also make sure that you leverage existing solutions that already have best business practices incorporated. That kind of makes sure that half of the work's already done. Half of that battle's fought for you and your staff. So those are my two uh, suggestions, Dave. Sam Navarro is the Senior Advisor to the IT Category Manager at the General Services Administration. Thank you so much for your leadership, Sam, and thank you for joining us today. You can learn more about supply chain risk management and the 2022 ACT-IAC Innovation Award winners by checking out the links on the Federal News Network website and at our website, www.actiac.org. Innovative solutions and improving risk management for our supply chains are both important opportunities to accelerate government mission outcomes through collaboration, leadership, and education. I'm Dave Winogren, and you've been listening to Accelerating Government brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. Thanks for listening to Accelerating Government with ACT-IAC. 
You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime in your podcast feed. Search for Accelerating Government on Podcast One, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts.